Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Today's podcast features London-based specialist midwife Tessa Vandervoord, also known as the mental health midwife. Tessa recently had her own baby, the delicious little Rue and has chosen to open up about her pregnancy because people who work in mental health are not immune to experiencing their own difficulties. Tessa talks to me today about her extreme anxiety during her pregnancy with Rue, often confounded by her profession and the simple fact that she knew too much. I reached out to Tessa because I wanted to feature more mental health stories on the podcast, and she was so brave to put herself forward as as she says in our recording, many of her closest friends still don't know the extent of what she went through. Hello Tessa, how are you today? Hi Zoe, I'm good thank you, how are you? I'm very well, it's really nice to see you again. I know, it's been such a long time. I know. And I know I'm not really properly seeing you. I know. It's better than than nothing. (laughs) I think the last time we saw each other you were actually in Dubai, weren't you? But that was probably... Five, six, six years ago? Six years ago. I was trying to work it out actually. I think it was in 2014. Yeah, I, no, I no it was because Bertie was a baby. He was still a baby. Yeah. 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 But he's seven in two weeks. So. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> Time, Time flies. flies. <laughs> right. Well, so Tess and I obviously um, already know each other. We used to work together. Um, back in the day when I lived in London. Um, so, uh, but Tessa's has come on to speak about her own experience today with us. So um, as you well know, Tessa, we like to start with this, the same old question, which is how did you meet your husband, Will? Oh, well, it's actually not a very interesting story, I'm afraid. <laughs> I've listened to a couple of your other podcasts and it's really romantic, you know, stories. <laughs> and but unfortunately, it's not quite the case. But um, so... I met Will in uh, 2016. Um, I was desperately single and uh, going through the motions of um, online dating and, you know, in that horrible vortex of, you know, going on dates, getting disappointed, losing faith in in men or or just humanity. Yeah, I was going to say humanity. (laughs) (laughs) um, So actually, when it actually came to me meeting Will, so I, I met him on a, on a, one of those sites that that um people use and um I met up with him it was actually the day it was a hot summer's day in July and it was actually the same day um that they had the London bike race on so yep. um I don't know if you remember those Zoe but to the last weekend of July every year there's the, the big bike race around London that goes out to Surrey and, and mm-hmm. back again um but the big thing about that race is that they shut all the roads yeah, I remember so it's it very really well. hard to it's get really any, anywhere especially where we used to work it was a nightmare yeah. if, if you were working but anyway um so I have to say Will hates it when I say this but when I woke up in the morning and I knew that I had this date to go on I thought Do you know what I really cannot be bothered <laughs> I can't be bothered to traipse and try and work out a way of getting to I was actually meeting up 
with him in, in Chelsea for a drink at a pub in Chelsea. I was like, oh, should I cancel? Oh, I don't know. He hates it when I say that, but it's true. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, anyway, I gave myself loads of time and I got there. And um, when he turned up, this, yeah, lovely, well-dressed guy, really interested in what I had to say, was listening, was just really kind and, and polite and just a real breath of fresh air. But because I'd been so, um, what's the word? Disillusioned? Uh, had, yeah, and, but, but also just um, had lots of, you know, negative, not negative experiences, that sounds a bit dramatic, but just like lots of disappointments with online dating. I thought, well, that guy was really nice, but I'm probably never going to hear from him again, or maybe I'll see him again and it'll just fizzle out like it always does. And um, <laughs> actually he, he, he texts me when I got home, he texts me and I remember to this day what it said in a text message. He said, I had such a nice afternoon with you. Um, you are thoroughly lovely. I just thought it's such a nice thing to say. Like, I've never forgotten that line. And um, anyway, the rest is history. And here we are nearly five years later well it'll be five years in the summer um married with a with a baby and uh yeah that's the story that's so nice oh now so don't give up on the online dating (laughs) (laughs) for anyone who's in that horrible vortex (laughs) it must be hard now as well with lockdown well i I dread to think how people are doing it to be honest i think i'm too old yeah (laughs) true lots of zoom dates apparently i've heard heard that that must be quite quite a strange wow. thing but maybe maybe people are getting quite used to the whole zoom zoom thing now but I think I'd find that a bit bit weird that's hard yeah um, really hard oh gosh yeah. anyway so obviously uh, Tessie you're a midwife so um I just wanted to ask like plenty I've ever have asked you like why did you get into midwifery what was it that that brought you to this profession well it's a couple of things um I always think it's actually a bit of a fluke the way I got got into it because I didn't really know when I was at school and sort of having to make those decisions about what I needed to study and what I wanted to do, I really had no idea. And I went through a phase of wanting to be like um, a ballerina, you know, when I was younger, but that was never going to happen because I'm six foot tall and that would just be, <laughs> <laughs> that just wouldn't, wouldn't work. You know, I went through the motions of wanting to do things like archaeology and all that kind of stuff. I think I went through a phase of wanting to be a forensic scientist, but I definitely wasn't clever enough to do that. <laughs> so I didn't, didn't pursue that. Um, and then when I went to, when I was at secondary school, I had a friend um, whose mum was a midwife. And I remember going around to her house for tea after school and things and talking to her mum and her mum was a community midwife and she would tell us about her day and what she'd do and she'd tell me things like oh I delivered a baby this morning in someone's house and I'd be like what (laughs) and I remember remember looking at her hands thinking wow those hands have like delivered babies that's incredible like what 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 an amazing thing to do so I think that might have planted the seed but I also remember when I was much younger, my sister, who's, who's quite a bit older than me, um, she had uh, my niece, who, who's nearly, she's going to be 25 next month, but I was only eight at the time when my niece was born. But I remember my sister, she was in her early 20s, I remember her being pregnant and I remember being really fascinated with it, with the pregnancy. And also when my niece Freya was born, um, going to the hospital meeting uh the baby the newborn baby and just yeah that whole experience was was quite an eye-opener for me so I think it might have stemmed from that too um so anyway 
when it came to deciding what I wanted to do, um, I applied for mid for a midwifery course and I applied to maybe six different universities and went for a few interviews here and there. And I wasn't very lucky. Um, I, I didn't get accepted for, for the majority of them, apart from one, which was um, Manchester University, which actually had the whole selection um, was the best one. And they offered me a place. So I was extremely lucky. There had been loads of people that had applied for the course. Um, and yes, yeah, so I went up to Manchester and I trained in Manchester and, and here I am nearly. Well, that was in 2006. So, yeah, 14 years later, Gosh. 15 years later. Wow. Yeah. That makes me sound really old, feel really old as well, because I think I, I, quali- <laughs> I qualified in 2006. So it's a yeah. long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I start, yeah, I started in 2006, qualified in 2009. Gosh, so, yeah. I, I remember actually, I remember your first, like, I remember seeing you for the first time on Labour Ward because there was like loads of you started at the same time. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Like this, this gaggle of new midwives. <laughs> yeah, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Absolutely. I remember, um, I remember I being always so happy and excited when I was working a shift with you, um, especially a night shift, I think, because you always used to bring in baked goods. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, yes, Zoe's on. That means, like, cupcakes all night. And I remember um, working, I was working on antenatal ward and you were working on the labour ward. And I, me- I remember hearing that there was some delicious baked goods good of Zoe on the um, labour ward. And I had a really busy shift on the antenatal ward. And I thought, oh, well, come 4am, I'm going to go and get me one of those... Um, cupcakes or whatever it was and I remember going over there and they'd all gone and I was like no <laughs> <laughs> missed out <laughs> I did I used to bake nearly every shift I just loved it it's something I've not done since yeah. so, when I moved to, to, to Dubai I really stopped I just because um, if not we'd yeah. eat, I didn't have anyone to give them to because if not James and I would just have sat and eaten everything <laughs> <laughs> can't do it oh. anyway so um, tell me about your your role now um, that you're working so I'm, um, I'm a specialist midwife um, and I specialise in, in mental health, which actually doesn't mean I'm, I'm not sort of, um, although I did receive some extra training, I'm not, I don't have any extra qualifications compared to another midwife of, of sort of my ilk. Um, it's more sort of experience of working with different um, disciplinaries, um, uh, disciplines, sorry, and uh, different teams and mostly for the most part it's supporting women who have either got a history of of moderate to severe um, mental illness or maybe have got some current um, emotional or, or mental needs in uh, mental health needs in in their pregnancy and that ranges it's quite broad so I couldn't really tell you in a nutshell what that is but for example I might care for someone who um, is under a community mental health team and support them in their pregnancy and maybe work with um, their mental health team and sort of bridge that gap between maternity and, and, and mental health um, and be that constant person um, for that, that woman throughout her pregnancy um, and plan for her birth and things like that and plan for the postnatal period as well. Um, and then another aspect to my role is seeing women who maybe have got a new onset of, of anxiety. Anxiety is quite a common one. Um, and that might be for a number of different reasons. They could be really fearful of birth. Um, they could have had a previous negative experience in, in giving birth and are feeling very apprehensive about giving birth again. Um, 
so yeah it's a mixed bag and very broad but yeah i really enjoy it and it's very um i get a lot lot out of it but that's that's pretty much what i do in a nutshell thank you yeah so tell me about um because you are three months postnatal with your own little boy um so I can, am. tell me about your pregnancy um with him well it's um I, we got married in November 2019 and it was always the plan to have have children but we weren't really sure um, when that was going to happen and I have to say I've got a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues that have had um, lots of issues um, with fertility and, and problems getting pregnant and, and things like that so um, I was convinced that that was going to be me as well. I don't know why, but I always felt like I was going to fall into that category because it's so common. Mm. So I was prepared that when we did try start to try for children, that um, it wasn't going to be straightforward. I just had it in my head that that was what was going to happen. So we went off on honeymoon um, in February 2020. So yeah, last nearly a year ago. And um, when we were on honeymoon, we thought, oh, you know, maybe we'll we'll try we'll, we'll try not you know that old phrase we'll we'll not not we'll not not try, try. No. yeah <laughs> yeah not not try um so so that was that and then I remember towards the end of our honeymoon we were sat on these sun lounges um in this really nice plate we're actually in, in Mauritius and there was this um young family in the in the pool and um I remember looking we were both looking at looking at them and uh, the parents looked really really tired and one of the <laughs> children um w was having like a full-on tantrum like meltdown and will and i looked at each other and we were like yeah maybe next year <laughs> are, we, are we ready for this uh, yeah maybe maybe we'll just pump the brakes on that one anyway so came came back on um flew back from our honeymoon and my my period was due like a few days later my periods are usually like clockwork and as we landed, I remember turning on my phone and it said that there'd been the first UK death of coronavirus. I remember that was quite like a poignant thing. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, I think this is going to be the beginning of something awful. And boy, was I right about that. <laughs> but um, I just remember that happening. And then as the days went by, I sort of caught up with friends, saw family, because you could back then. And um, I remember thinking, I don't feel like I've, like my period's going to come. You know, I haven't got any sore boobs or like cramps or headaches or anything I just don't feel like how I usually feel when my period's about to come anyway I remember sitting at my parents and I was quaffing some red wine and I was like this is really strange so the next day I went I went back to work on the Monday and I just couldn't stop thinking about it and I was like surely not I can't I can't be and I went to the um boots opposite work and I got a got a test and I went home Will was out and Basically, I did this did this test, and I'd never I don't think I've even done a pregnancy test before. But I sort of knew the idea: you have to be on a stick and then wait, wait for two lines to come. I didn't actually look at the packet; I sort of put the packet away. And I went off and did something, went back, and as I looked at it, it was just one line, and I was like, "Oh, fine." As I as I predicted, I'm just being silly. My period's like, you know, it's only a day late. For goodness' sake, Tessie, you're such a control freak. Stop trying to. Um, <laughs> you know this is not 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 happening and then as I went to go and put it in the bin my eyes sort of caught it again and I saw like a really faint second line and I was like was that there before or was that always there does it just go darker when when it's a positive test so I was really confused and I was like which sounds so silly I'm a midwife I should know how <laughs> the tests work um 
anyway, I threw it away and then um, thinking about it all day again the next day and I did another one and it was ping two lines. So basically it happened straight away. Wow. And the first, yeah, I know, the first um, thought I had was a huge guilt and not sadness. I can't quite articulate what, what it was, but I was thinking about all my friends and I've got a really, really close friend. In fact, she's my best friend in the whole world. She's been trying for a baby for, for years. And my first thought was, I want to give her this pregnancy because it was so easy for me. You know, I can just try again next month. Like that was my thought process. And that's such a strange thing to say now, now that I've got um, my son here. But that was my first thought. I thought, how could, how could I be so lucky? That's just, that's just really unfair. So I was really torn between wanting to be happy and excited, but actually feeling incredibly guilty that I'd been so lucky. Um, so I was four plus two, Zoe, when I found wow. out, like so early. Oh my God. And um, so that first trimester was so long and it really opened my eyes. Like as a midwife, I've not been, not that I've not been compassionate, but I've not acknowledged how anxiety inducing that first trimester is. Like mm -hmm. it's such a long time. And we still live in a, in a world where although we, encourage women now to be open about their pregnancies in the first trimester if they want to be. I think the majority of women still want to keep it a secret because they don't want to jinx anything and which is totally fine and I was definitely in that camp as well. Um, but then yeah the anxiety started to kick in and I thought I need to know that this is actually happening, I want to have a scan, I want to know that it's all in the right place, you know as a midwife you know about all these things that can happen and I just wanted to check that none of that was was happening like ectopic pregnancy or whatever. So I messaged um, the early pregnancy unit at our hospital and they said oh you know we can we can scan you that's fine but um, the best time to scan you would be in your sort of seventh week. So I had to wait sort of two and a half weeks for a scan um which you know in the grand scheme of things isn't that long but it's really long when you're when you've just found found out um so i waited and waited the scan came along and um she she did the scan and she said i can see the pregnancy um but i'm afraid the the heartbeat is is very very slow um it's very faint um so you need to come back in a week um but prepare for the worst by this point i'd known i'd been pregnant for 3 weeks and i you just start to i was so heartbroken i left that place and i and i broke down which if anyone else had been telling me the story, I'd think, God, you're only seven weeks pregnant. Like, you know, it's really early. You shouldn't get your hopes up, but you can't help it. You project your life and you start to imagine life with a baby and you start to almost make plans and think about the baby and wonder what it looks like and whether it's a boy or a girl and all this kind of stuff. So I broke down and my husband, he's very, very supportive, but he, he couldn't quite understand why I, why I was so upset and why I was grieving so much, even though it wasn't final, in my mind, it was final. And then, so that was hard. So that week was the longest week ever. Um, couldn't tell anyone, Googling things like crazy, doing all the stuff that I always tell women not to do, going on Google, trying to find the answer to reassure myself that actually that happening is, is normal and actually it's nothing to worry about. But obviously all the stuff I was finding was like, no, you know, it's likely that it's not going to um, continue and it's not going to be viable. 
Um, so I went back a week later and I'd also started to feel sort of some pangs of nausea and I thought it was my body just playing a cruel trick on me or that I was imagining it. Um, so I went back and, and she scanned me and um, immediately, pretty much immediately, as soon as she started the scan, she went, okay, I can see the heartbeat. It's really strong. And the um, embryos uh, tripled in size. Oh, <laughs> I was like, wow. what? And that's just not, not what I expected at all. And so I was so relieved and really, really happy for a brief time. <laughs> and then the anxiety kicked in again. Because as soon as you get given a bit of good news, you know, when you start to feel anxious and worried about something, it always, it always tips the balance, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. you start to worry about other things. No, um, something, um, something James and I went through with, um, with our last pregnancy, obviously our daughter and she, mm-hmm. um, so we were being scanned every week because she was IVF. Yeah. So every week from five weeks to 12 weeks. So I'd have like, um, it was always a scan on a Sunday. So we'd have the scan on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'd be okay-ish. And then Wednesday, Thursday, I'd start to sink. Friday, Saturday, I'd decided I'd lost the pregnancy. And then Sunday, yeah. we'd have a scan and it all started again. And we did that for seven weeks. And poor, my poor, poor James was having so, to kind of take me through this so, weekly cycle. But I understand yeah. completely. Um, and it's such, it's so exhausting, isn't it? And, and again, you, you don't, I don't know, I don't know whether you shared it with anyone um, or if anyone knew that you were going through that but it seemed it's almost worse that because you you don't talk to other people about it Mm -hmm. you're carrying all this worry and anxiety all on your own so it was a yeah it was a really hard time um and it and it didn't stop there I got to nine so I had like two lovely weeks or no a a lovely week I I should say and then um well I say lovely weeks actually that's a complete lie the the um nausea kicked in and it was awful (laughs) again another another thing that's opened my eyes I'm never going to take for granted ever again when a when a mother tells me that she's suffering with with morning sickness because oh my goodness it is the worst thing ever and I've always been almost dismissive of it in the past and I've been I I would think to myself you know if a a woman would tell me that she feels really sick I'd think oh well you know that always happens it's part of your it's part of the first trimester you know not get on with it but you know it's 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 one of those things but oh I really sympathize now like it it was awful um and then at nine weeks I um was on a zoom call with um a couple of friends and I felt something down below and I thought oh no what's that I hope that's not what I think it is and yeah went to the loo and it was quite a substantial um bleed and I thought oh no just when I was starting to sort of not not relax but um just starting to have a bit of faith that things were going in the right direction um so went back to the early pregnancy unit and yeah I was nine nine nearly ten weeks by this point Thankfully, they did the scan, but you know, I was prepared to walk in and they were going to tell me the worst thing. But thankfully, um, they did the scan, and, and by that point, it was amazing because you know, it had little arms and legs and, and things like that, so that, that was really, really nice. But I continued to, to bleed between week 10 and week 14, I think it may have even gone on to 16 weeks. Wow, so that was really stressful as well. But all of this stuff, all of these things that you hear about all the time. It was just adding layer upon layer upon layer of like really quite chronic anxiety. And my workplace had been really supportive because obviously 
I found out I was pregnant and then then this was back in March and the, and the UK um, went into the lockdown sort of middle of March and, and, you know, the Prime Minister said that pregnant women had to socially isolate. So I actually had to, um, or socially distance, I should mm-hmm. say. So I, sh- I had to tell my boss when I was like five weeks that I was pregnant. So um, they were very supportive and, and helped me to sort of work from home, which was a blessing in one way because I felt so awful you know I could work from home and then go and lie down for 10 minutes because I felt so awful and then come back but then I wasn't I think if I was at work I probably would have been more distracted you know with lots of people around me and getting yeah, on with having the interaction with other way. people yeah. yeah having the interaction with other people so um it was yeah it was a blessing and and a curse um but yeah that that's sort of the first first trimester or just after the first trimester was was so yeah anxiety inducing and um it's it's changed my outlook really on on talking and caring for women in that in that first trimester because it's it's really hard (laughs) really really hard and did you have anyone to talk to um I spoke to my husband a lot um and actually as the pregnancy progressed he he got a little bit more invested in it I suppose and I think this is the thing with with and I totally get it with with sort of partners and 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 uh, fathers of of babies they tend not because they're not going through it themselves they probably find it quite hard and they can't see a bump at that stage or anything like that and you know he wasn't coming to the scans and things so I think for him it wasn't like it was actually happening Mm. like there wasn't actually a baby in there um so he I think he found it quite hard um but yeah I spoke to him a lot there was a there was a few um friends like a very small handful of friends that I did I did tell them because I was just really really struggling with with the worry and the anxiety and you know friends with lots of midwives and um I I would confide in them and, and speak to them I have to say um I sound like such a hypocrite, but the, the the thing that I wasn't doing was following the advice that I give women in my clinics. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that myself. I wasn't accessing sort of talking therapy or, or going to my GP or doing all of those things that you should do if you're really, really suffering with, with anxiety. And I don't know whether it was because of, I didn't have the, the sight. I didn't have like the, I think I just was trying to get myself through week by week. And I just thought, you know, once I get to, I remember thinking once I get to 16 weeks, I'll be all right. And then I'd get to 16 weeks and I'd be like, actually, no, once I get to 20 weeks, I'll be all right. And once I get to 24 weeks, then 28, then 32. So it just went on and on and on. Um, and I think as well, sort of seeing women in my clinic, I would relate to, I see a lot, lots of women in my clinic that have anxiety in pregnancy. And, and I think, speaking with them them telling me about their anxiety and I would listen to them and I think oh my goodness I feel exactly the same and I really want to tell her that I feel exactly the same but I can't because she's wanting that she needs me to be strong and listen to her and give her solutions she doesn't need me to feed back and say do you know I feel the same although that might be comforting for her on some level actually it might do more harm than than good in 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 ways so i had to make sure i set those professional boundaries but i have to say i was really tempted sometimes to to say i feel the same yeah me too me too yeah. it's almost like you needed to be referred to yourself to get yeah to start seeking out the right sort of support 
exactly exactly it's not yeah it's not easy it's it's not easy to i think that's part of the problem in sort of with with mental health and and especially if it's not something that you've maybe dealt with before in your life you it's not that you're reluctant to get the help you just don't quite see yourself that you need it you need someone else to sort of say actually do you know this is not this is not normal and and well it's normal it's proportionate to your situation but actually you need some help and you need some support with this to unpick the the anxiety around it so yeah that was yeah. that was the that was what happened with me and the, the, it continued throughout my whole pregnancy I have to say and I just convinced myself all these things were going to happen and I don't know whether it's because I'm a midwife and you know about these things I don't know whether you felt the same Zoe in your pregnancy all these things would, would crop up and you think am I going to get diabetes am I going to get preeclampsia am I going to have a traumatic birth you know all of these things but you know none of it came to fruition which are, you know, very lucky for me, but, you know, I would think about it all the time and convince myself that it would all happen. <laughs> do, you, do you think it affected you being able to bond? Yes, I think so. I really enjoyed being pregnant um, and it gave me like a new, I was in awe of my body, I have to say. I've, I've grown, I've lived life not being the biggest fan of my body you know not 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 body image issues per se but I guess you could say that um so I was really worried about how I'd cope with the changes of my body and growing a bump and putting on weight and things like that but actually it was the opposite and I was in complete awe um of it but the actual I would feel him move and think oh as a baby but try not to get too attached to it because something might happen and you know self-preservation sort of kicked in Mm -hmm. um and even when he was born you know I remember looking down at him and thinking oh my goodness it is actually a real real baby and it's crying (laughs) um but it took me it didn't take me a long time but it it took I had to acclimatize definitely to to accepting the fact that he was here and he was well I think Um, I, I don't know if this is a midwife thing either actually but I think for me, both times, there was this thing of like, this one's mine. Like, I, I, I take yeah. it home with me. This one belongs yeah. to me. Um, as well for me, because they were both cesareans. So I'd seen so many births and, yeah. uh, you know, supported so many women. And then because I hadn't necessarily gone through, you know, because I've not gone through labour, I just found it really mm-hmm. strange that they sort of like, here you go. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. Belongs yeah. to, are you sure? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, just, and I, I felt a little never dissociated, but um, yeah, it's just a very weird feeling of wow. I get to I get to keep this one. Keep it, like yeah, I remember one of my friends saying when he was about four weeks old, they were like, "Oh, you know, how's Rue?" And I'd be like, "Oh yeah, no, he's great." But I'm just wondering when his real parents are going to wonder. Oh, yeah. his real parents wondering where he is, and aren't they going to want him back soon? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's still uh, he's he does definitely feel part of our life now. And actually, weirdly, I I feel like I can't remember how life was before he was here. It's like he's always been here in a strange way. But um, yeah, in those early weeks, I did feel like that. Like, is he actually? ours? He's our responsibility, and it's yeah. quite overwhelming. I think there's well, a lot of it, um... like that. Where you feel a bit like, I still say to James now, I sometimes feel like we're playing mum and dad. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then the adults, the adults will walk in soon. <laughs> yeah. And we'll stop playing and we'll go to bed. <laughs> I don't know when that goes. So um, 
do you, do you think it um, affected like the bonding once he was here or do you, after once he was born did you did it start to kind of um, it didn't so straight away I think yeah like I say I think it took me a little while to acclimatize but when I say a little while not long you could say maybe a day or or, or two just yeah. to adjust to life with him being here and I'm completely obsessed with him now like I just constantly take photos of him and 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 you know when he's asleep I miss him and all that kind of stuff <laughs> but in the very in the ver in the very early days I wasn't like that. That's something that's definitely grown over time. Um, but I was very conscious of that. And I, I always say to women that, um, you know, don't always expect that big rush of love when that baby's here. And I think mm -hmm. we always have, we have this social expectation that that happens. Mm -hmm. And I remember my own mother saying it to me when I was younger, she said, oh, when you and your sister and your brother were born, I just remember the love pouring out of me when I had you in my arms when you, when you were born, which is such a lovely thing to hear. But I had that expectation in my mind. And although I didn't have that expectation when I had Rue, there's many other women that had that expectation that I've cared for over the years. And I have to really, you know, preempt them and warn them that it's very, very normal not to have that rush of love in the beginning. And it can take hours, days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months to, to get it. So um, I think we do need to abolish that sort of expectation Absolutely. that you have that, that rush of love. Yeah, 100%. And do you feel like the anxiety has, has um, sort of seeped into your postnatal period as well? I had a feeling you were going to ask me that. <laughs> and I was, I was um, wondering, I was thinking about it last night when I was brushing my teeth. Um, no, not, not to the same level. I don't think I'm anxious to the same level as I was in, in pregnancy. Um, I'm very aware that um, when you do suffer from anxiety or depression in your pregnancy, you are much more likely to, for that to continue or develop more severely in the postnatal period. But, um, and I know that sounds a bit um, negative, but it's the facts. And I do warn women who are very anxious and depressed mm -hmm. or depressed in their pregnancy that that is the likely scenario. But it's not the scenario for everyone. Um, you know, there are women that I've cared for that have gone through their pregnancy be being extremely anxious. And then when the baby's here, it, it dissipates and it goes away. But that certainly isn't the, the, the case for, for many, for the majority um, it does continue but for me it's hard to say really Zoe because we're living in a very strange time and I don't know whether some of it might be to do with the situation that we're in with the lockdown um, I don't I, I'm not sure but I'm, I'm definitely not worried to the point yeah I'm not feeling it at the level that I was feeling it in the pregnancy it's funny the other day um Rue's fingernails are really long and um, Will, my husband, took it upon himself to trim his, his nails with a little baby uh, yeah. nail clipper. The and worst he thing didn't ever. Mean to, I know, he didn't mean to and I know it happens probably to the best of us but he, he nipped his finger and it, and it um, bled everywhere and um, Will came upstairs with him and Rue was crying, screaming his head off and I was like, oh, and I have to say my immediate thought, I looked at it and it, and it looked, because he's got such tiny fingers, it looked far worse than it was. And my immediate thought was, I think I need to call 111. I think we need to take him to A&E. <laughs> but like, it's such a, such a silly thing to think. And obviously after like half an hour, it stopped bleeding. And it's just a little bit of flappy skin at the end of his finger bed, but, uh, fingernail. Um, but 
it's um yeah I some I think sometimes when things like that happens I'm like Whoa! but yeah. then it it sort of yeah I then start to rationalize and and I can talk myself down from it I, I was able to talk myself down from it a bit in the pregnancy as well I think but yeah I'm, I've got a bit better equipped at doing that that now I have to say um the whole chopping off the fingers happens to the best of us he felt he felt really guilty obviously oh well, I did I did it to my nephew so that was pretty awful I think my sister oh. threw me off the balcony <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so if you were to do it all again um which hopefully maybe one day you may um what would you change in hindsight what have you learned um like how would you do things differently this time it's a really good question um I've not I've not really given it much thought yet but I suppose I would probably adopt a lower threshold to be open and honest with how I'm feeling because all of those anxieties and stresses and worries that I had in the pregnancy I I think actually if any of my friends listen to this they they may be quite um surprised at how anxious I was because although I did let my friends know that I was a bit anxious I didn't actually let them on to how severe it was and um, so I think I'd definitely adopt a lower threshold to be more open and transparent about what I'm worried about because actually talking about your you sometimes don't even necessarily need to seek help in the uh, traditional not traditional way but in you know it doesn't seeking help doesn't often mean seeing a doctor or taking medication or having a course of CBT seeking help can just be really simple like speaking op openly and honestly with someone that you really trust that's seeking help and that can be really therapeutic to talk to someone that you know and, and that you trust um, about how you're feeling or even if you don't feel able to do that writing down how you're feeling actually is really cathartic and you can write down a load of rubbish that you just sit down give yourself 10 minutes and just write out everything that you're feeling getting it out of your head and onto some paper can be really cathartic so yeah just things like that um definitely listen to my own advice <laughs> and don't be such a hypocrite <laughs> um because you know we're all human just because i work in mental health doesn't mean that i'm protected no. um uh, so i sh you know i should just listen listen to my own advice um really so that's probably what i'll do next time if there is a next time and for anyone listening who may be feeling similar to how you were, what can they do? What, what resources are available to them? Well, it does depend. I know you have a lot of listeners, Zoe, from, from all over the place, but certainly in the UK where, where I work, um, talking about, so, so mental health is the most common, um, I don't want to say ailment, but it's the most common thing that can happen in pregnancy, you know, tenfold it's it's much more common than diabetes or growth problems of the baby or blood pressure problems it's it's the most common thing to happen so first of all speak to someone um either someone that you you trust or or what would be even better is to speak to your midwife and speak to your GP or your health visitor so one of those three people they are all trained in um having those conversations they have them every day um, it can be quite a it can feel quite apprehensive having those conversations but please be assured that it's part of their mandatory training that they they do every year along with um, you know learning how to 
resuscitate someone and learning how to give a blood transfusion they also learn how to have those conversations with people and what to do when someone discloses um things like that so um they're very used to having those conversations first of all and in for the majority of people who do experience that there's um two there's lots of options but in the uk there is um we're very lucky um, to have like a very fully functioning talking therapy service in, in primary care. So what that means is in every borough, I, sh I think, I think it's nationwide, I'm pretty sure it's nationwide, of the country, there's always going to be a talking therapy service. And the majority of these services run on a self-referral basis, but you don't need to self-refer necessarily. You can take a, they do take referrals from professionals like midwives and doctors. But these people, it's a team of people that provide lots of different types of talking therapy, depending on what your need is. So it could be trauma work, it could be counselling, it could be CBT. Um, and what they essentially do is get in contact with you, do really long assessments, lots and lots of questions and the same questions that they ask everyone. Um, and based on the answers that you give. So it's really important that you are very honest with those answers, with those questions. They will then decide with you what the best course of treatment is um things like depression and anxiety in pregnancy is often cbt um so cognitive behavioral therapy and that really helps to unpick the um you know behind the worries and behind the concerns and try and get to the bottom of why you feel like that and how you can change the way you approach that um takes a lot of patience and persistence um so you do need to you know, see the course of the talking therapy out for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one option. And then obviously, I think people worry about when they go to their GP, they worry about talking to their GP about, um, you know, uh, symptoms of, of mental health, whether it be depression or anxiety or, or other things. And they're worried that they're just going to get stuck on um, some, some medication. And that's, that's not always the case. Sometimes medication is, the, is a a good option for people but sometimes you know having talking therapy th first and then trying medication or taking medication alongside the talking therapy can work quite well you know everyone's individual it's not a one size fits all um thing so going to your gp and talking to your gp about mental health does not necessarily equate to you going on, on medication they wouldn't automatically do that anyway they'd want to have a chat with you and, and yeah. delve a bit more on on what the issues are thank you Thank you so much, Tessa, for being so honest and so informative as well. You've, you've spoken really brilliantly. Um, I like to end my podcast with the same questions, um, starting with uh, if you could have coffee with any, any other woman, um, be alive, dead, fictional, um, who, who would that be? I'm not sure if you've had this one before. <laughs> and you might, you might have, because I think she's probably quite a, a popular um, choice. But... I've always been really um, fascinated with um, Princess Diana <laughs> from a young from a young age. I remember her being on the TV. I remember seeing you know her in the papers, and I was always really fascinated with her. And I remember the day she died really, really clearly. Um, but the reason um, I find her so fascinating is because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she's probably the only person of that era that was really open and honest about her mental health in a time where people just did not talk about it and actually it was not not the thing to do but she held the torch on that one and although it's been a slow burner um you know normalizing mental health and, and being destigmatizing it and things like that I think she was probably 
the first of her kind to start doing that. So I would really like to um, have a good old chin wag with her. With a gin and tonic, not coffee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're watching um, The Crown and we're, we're so behind. Like, I know everyone else is going to get it, but James and I are slowly working our way through it if we can stay awake long enough in the evening. So, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we're just about to meet her in The Crown. So I'm like, yes, it's going to Diana. <laughs> oh, she's very good. She's very good, the actress that, that plays her. Um, it's, quite, yeah, it's quite amazing, really, to, to watch. But um, yeah, it's, it, she's one of those people. I think she's probably such a famous person that's no longer like when you think of people that are really famous and no longer with us people always think about you know princess diana or michael mm-hmm. jackson or yeah. you know someone like that yeah. it's you know i know she's up there but it's more from a mental health point of view as well no that's really interesting have a, have a chat with her that's a really good answer thank you and i know you've only been a mum for three months um <laughs> but have you caught yourself saying anything to Rue that your mum used to say to you um, not to Rue uh, yet, because it's really sad. Rue's not seen his grandma very much because we're in um, the pandemic. He's not, oh, he's not met hardly any of his family. But um, anyway, I put my little violin away. Um, <laughs> she, there's, there's things that my mum would say, there's many things my mum would say that I found myself saying myself. Um, I found me saying myself. Um, she is a she's a real stickler for good grammar. So she would always say things like, if you would say, oh, I saw two twins today, she'll be like, nope, you didn't, two twins is four. <laughs> <laughs> and if you say, if I would say, oh, me and Zoe went to the shops, she'd say, yeah. Zoe and Zoe I. And I. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my yeah. second, my Bertie, so he corrects me now. He, um, oh really? <laughs> yeah, he quite often corrects me. We've got, I can't remember what it is we say, but he's like, you're not American mum, don't say it like that. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> there's, um, there's another thing that I think actually her mum used to say to her. And I don't know whether, I, I've actually never heard anyone else say this. And maybe it's a really common saying, but she always used to say to me, if you've tried your best or if you've done your best, angels can do no more. Um, and I think that's just a really nice saying. So if you've basically tried really hard at something and you've tried your best, you know, be, be accepting of that because angels can do no more than that if you've done your best oh i like that that she would say well thank you and um not just about being a mum um but your whole experience your pregnancy the anxiety um the guilt i find that really um a really interesting feeling um and really pertinent to the times we're in i think because i think probably with more people being more vocal about um infertility Mm. miscarriage um, that it's it's really interesting that or it's really sad that we're that's also then leading to people who are very successful um, to have have negative feelings about pregnancy as well. Um, but bearing everything in mind, is there a is there a top tip you could um, you could give other people a little mum hack life hack that has worked for you? Um, I've got two things if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, uh, one is um, accept accept help from anyone for anything in the early weeks. <laughs> um, don't be a martyr because it's really hard work in those early weeks and it completely, you know, especially for your first baby, ter- your life is turned upside down. It's completely uncharted territory. So any help that is offered, um, just take it. And actually people, when people offer, offer help, I like to think that, you know, they do mean it when they offer it and, and they're, they're offering it because they would like to help you. So that's even more reason to accept it because it will 
make them happy, not not just help you. <laughs> and if if that's not the case, well, that that's more for them to doing an empty gesture. So <laughs> um, do uh, saying an empty gesture. So um, do do accept the help for anything from anyone um because it's really hard to relinquish control especially you know modern day um you know we all live in life now where we're in control of every aspect of our life and suddenly you're in a, in a position where your control goes out the window um and you learn you adapt of course but um it's quite hard to relinquish that control and let no. go so i think it's hard it's, yeah, no it's, it's very true good thing good thing something my husband always says says to me is like it's not a sign of weakness you can you can accept help it's okay yeah it doesn't yeah. mean you're weak i'm like but, but i couldn't do it all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true and the, and the last thing um i've been quite lucky i think becoming a mum at this time um I don't know whether it's because I've become a mum at this time, but I've not experienced yet. I mean, I know I'm only 12 weeks in, but I've not, ex- I was ex- expecting the mum community to be a judgmental one, one with lots of opinions and things like that. I was expecting it to be like that, but actually I've experienced the opposite. I found that mums have been, we've all been bigging each other up and supporting each other and, being there for each other um that's been my experience so far i don't know whether i'm just lucky or whether it's to do with the fact that we're all in in a pandemic so maybe we're all in a better headspace to um be like-minded and and support each other maybe that might be the reason i don't know but there's that saying isn't there it takes a village to raise a child but actually i saw something the other day on social media saying actually it takes a village to raise a mother Mm -hmm. to raise a child Mm -hmm. so um yeah I think creating those friendships and those relationships with other mothers it's a really strong thing it's really bizarre you know never have I been in a situation where I'm out walking through and you you sort of see other mothers and you just you might not necessarily stop and chat to each other but you acknowledge each other smile at each other and there's like you know it's a common ground um this is not a similar, but I found the same when I used to um, walk a dog. You're going to say walk a dog. dog. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. When I first got uh, Rufus, he was my pug. Um, for anyone oh, who Rufus. doesn't know me, I remember Rufus. Yeah. Um, suddenly, people used to talk to me all the time. Never, yeah. as, and I was in London. I was like, "What is this? This is incredible." It is. It's <laughs> and so like, weird, every, isn't obviously, it? anyone with a pug would definitely talk to me. But everyone used to talk to me because they used to want to say hi to him and stroke him and find out yeah. about him. And it was. A, yeah, um, yeah I, as you were saying that, I was like, it's the same with dogs. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you agree because I was a bit worried about saying that and saying that. <laughs> people thinking, what the hell is she talking about? Having a do- walking a dog is not the same as having a baby, which is not. But I just meant in comparison to people just being on the same level and like-minded and chatty. You know, it's common ground, isn't but it? But you know what? It probably shows that people who don't have babies and don't have dogs probably want to connect with with you as well um yeah. it's just that, um you know when you have something that you can actually find the connection or something to talk about because we're just social beings at the end of the day so um yeah. i think we, we all just want to connect on on whatever level we can yeah i think um for um in dubai it's slightly different in terms of our our, our lockdown measures and things at the moment but i think um we are allowed out but um it's still quite hard to, to make those connections I, I'm finding because 
if you go, we are lucky enough to be able to go to baby classes and things, but um, mm. we have to be, we're so distanced from each other. So, you know, yeah. you're, you're more than two meters away from the, the next um, mother and baby or father and baby. Mm. So you're very spread out. And then we've all got masks on and it, it just, it's such a barrier to being able to start up that initial conversation. Um, yeah. And I'm personally um, finding it really difficult because I've got lots and lots of friends, but not many friends for like Sybil for her, her age group. So I'm trying to make mm. a real effort, but it's, it's really difficult because it's like going to school yeah. again, like being a new girl. Um, but yeah. with, with that barrier as well of, of, of these masks that you, um, so yeah. you can't like, I don't know, pull a funny face or something. Um, and you've got to kind of use, try and catch someone's attention just with your eyes because they might not be able to hear you because of the noise of the baby class or um and the mask yeah. is is, is uh, also um you know stopping your voice being able to be heard so it's it's such a weird time right now um yeah. it's it's funny territory we're in but hey ho yeah. we'll get through it we will get through it the end is in sight i hope i'm sure by the end of this year um it might not be gone completely. I'm not, I don't know when life is going to be how it was, whether, whether it even will be how it was before, but I think we will, I'm sure. And I hope and I pray that we're going to be in a very different um, situation come, come the end of the year. Yeah. We've got to think that way anyway. Yeah. Okay, thank you Tessa so, so, so much for speaking to me today. It's been absolutely Thank you. Um, thank I feel you. like I'm on Desert Island Discs. Can I not tell you my, my tunes now that I want <laughs> yeah. you to play? <laughs> do but let me stop recording then you can just tell me okay all right <laughs> have a great day you too bye bye a big thank you to tessa for speaking with me today particularly during these uncertain times i'm sure that so many of you can relate to what she went through i've been really struck by tessa describing the guilt she felt when she discovered she was pregnant I know that no woman going through infertility would ever wish this on another woman who has been gifted with the ease of conception. Tessa and I talked afterwards and I think her feelings came from a place of love for those she knew who were struggling around her. But I think revelations like this further highlight why we need to keep talking, keep conversations open and keep supporting one another. Thank you for listening. You can contact Tessa on Instagram at mentalhealth underscore midwife. Details are in the show notes. See you next week.